54 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. So if you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. And there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Uh, man, you know, I want to get all that out in one breath at some point right now. It's allergy season. I get a little bit of those seasonal allergies, a little wheeze. So uh, that one took me more than uh, multiple breaths to get that whole paragraph out. But I am grateful to be here. I want to quickly address um, when I released the last episode, episode 53, um, with Heather Robertson of HalfSizeMe.com, which it's always funny to hear... The, the feedback, it's when uh, when an, a podcast finds a new audience and then that audience um, comes back with questions and they start to look at other episodes. It's just a blast. So Heather has a, a really nice following and a big audience and she's been um, super great. We've traded some messages after um, and I'm grateful for that. But I had had it out for a few hours and then my wife actually sent me a text and said, hey, I was just listening to um, the latest episode, which I was grateful for. And she said, there's something wrong with the audio in the intro. And I panicked. And so I had to between clients. It was pretty funny. I listened and and pulled up the the file that I had, had put together. And I had left the volume high on that intro music and never faded it down while my while I started talking. And so then I just, you know, I was hoping, man, maybe it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I, w- I needed to fix it, but I didn't know if I had time. And then I go look at the stats. And uh, and so it looks like, a, you know, a few thousand of you got to basically miss that intro, which maybe was a good thing. Who knows? Maybe that music and not hearing my spiel about the episode number and all that good stuff uh, was uh, was not too bad to uh, to endure of just hearing that that music loud. Um, but then I, I was able to upload it, so some of you might not have any idea what I'm talking about. But so I apologize for that little recording glitch. Um, this episode, as uh, per usual, is supported in part by bloomforwomen.com. So if you are suffering from the effects of betrayal trauma of any sort, from infidelity, the disclosure of discovery of a pornography or sexual addiction, um, emotional, physical abuse, any type of betrayal trauma, I would highly encourage you at the very least to stop by bloomforwomen.com and take a look at the materials that the folks from Bloom for Women have put together. And uh, if you want a free month's access to Bloom for Women, just sign up and use the coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, and you'll have access to all of their material. And I continue, and, and I'm not just saying this because it's their, their friends of the podcast, um, but what a great uh, what a great tool that is, Bloom for Women. There are, there are a couple other things out there that are dealing with some um, betrayal trauma that I don't I don't feel are maybe necessarily as strength based or positive. And uh, boy, Bloom for Women has um, they just have a whole lot. They have training videos and programs and um, uh, you know co- coaching and forums and all of this sort of thing that uh, just a whole community. And again, it's I feel like it's really strength based and a positive experience for anybody that goes there. So I would highly encourage that. And I can't lie, yesterday I received a fresh batch of Eli's Extracts, all natural organic shave cream, um, scented with essential oils. And once again, when you get it and it's that fresh, I swear to you, uh, I smell it and then I kind of want to eat it. I guess that's a true confession. And there's actually a pic out there on the interweb somewhere of a time where I decided to put a little bit on some toast and give it a try. And while I will admit that it gives an amazing shave to both men and women on head, uh, face, legs, wherever, admittedly not a good topping on toast. But uh, head over to Eli's dash extracts.com and if you use the coupon code virtual couch all one word you can get 25 percent off of your purchase okay let's uh let's talk about the show so a couple of weeks ago i had the absolute pleasure and privilege of being a guest on a podcast called three and 30 takeaways for moms hosted by rachel nielsen 
And the episode was, it was a ton of fun. Um, man, I mean, I, she got me on my soapbox and I felt like we could have talked for hours, but her whole goal is to, to have three takeaways that you can get from her podcast in 30 minutes. And I, boy, I know I pushed that. Um, I think 30 minutes technically went up to 39 minutes and 59 seconds. Um, but, but hopefully it was informative to listeners I, that boy, I've got a lot of feedback there. She has a, 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 just a great following and people that are really active on an Instagram community. You can find her three and 30 takeaways on Instagram, but the episode was called, and I love the title, how to praise your child when it feels like there's nothing to praise. So I got to talk about the nurtured heart parenting approach and we, we hit a couple of different things on there. But in preparing to go on her show, I listened to her podcast and uh, and went all over her website, which I'll have links to in my notes, but it's the number three, I-N, then the number 30, podcast.com. And she has an incredible story. There's a lot of things that Rachel's been through. And honestly, there were a few different things that I wanted to talk to her about for my podcast, but we eventually settled on a pretty amazing story that she's going to share today. And I really don't want to go too much into it because we, we cover it. And man, she, you know, she's a good storyteller. She goes on, she talks about she's a she's an English major, good with words, and uh, has a podcast, has some experience behind the microphone. And uh, but her, you know, she tells it's a it's a story about how her children came to be a part of her family. And honestly, it's I mean, it's touching, it's inspiring, and it might speak to a lot of people who are maybe struggling with um, issues with infertility um, that are, you know, that are trying to have kids. And if you haven't been through infertility, adoption, in vitro, any of that, or if it's even just simply, you know, somebody that has been through that process or isn't thinking about that process, I just highly encourage you to listen purely for the fact that I, I think your empathy for people who struggle with, um, you know, wanting to have children or struggling to have children, it's going to grow and grow and grow. And, uh, you know, I still remember the first time that I talked to a woman who was unable to get pregnant and kind of about, it was about a five minute, I don't know what other call it than like a monologue that she gave of all the times and things that people had said where, you know, it was everything about, no, oh, you wouldn't want them anyway. Or, you know, she talked about just uh, hearing a friend of hers who was, you know, upset that she had just had the whoops, surprise, you know, kid number five or that sort of thing. And, and so just from that concept of empathy of, you know, remembering that, you know, sympathy is, I would say, uh, thinking about this, if you stumble upon somebody who's down in a hole, Sympathy is looking at them going, oh, man, I'm so sorry, you know, that I'm really bummed that you are in that hole, but kind of, I got to, I got to go. I got things to do where that empathy is jumping down in that hole and kind of seeing, hey, what are you looking at? And what's your experience in this hole? And when you see, a, a, you know, the the walls at that height, what, what do you think of and what, what comes to your mind? And, and uh, have you had experience like this before? And what are your fears of the dirt that's in front of you? And tell me all what's going on. I mean, that's empathy. It's really getting in there with somebody. And I just, I just felt like um, Rachel did an amazing job of kind of cultivating empathy for what someone is going through when they're looking at things like in vitro fertilization or they're looking at adoption. And when she, you know, I, I was just so grateful that she shared a, a really touching part of her story that uh, she she has never shared before. And I just feel honored that she shared that on the podcast. So um, I, I can't wait for you to listen. I would highly encourage you to go over and listen to more of Rachel's podcast, Three and Thirty Takeaways for Moms. You can find them on. Um, iTunes and, and uh, on her website, anywhere where you find your podcast. And if you have a moment, please just drop over to TonyOverbay.com and uh, just sign up for, um, I've got an email list that I don't spam. Um, matter of fact, I don't do much of it of anything with it. I need to, to work on that a little bit. But I just some really exciting programs coming up with uh, for couples and for parenting. Just a lot of good stuff. So if you head over there, and also Rachel and I did, um, this is a video podcast. And so I've got uh, few people kind of given some eyes to the Virtual Couch YouTube channel. And so if you want to see 
Rachel and I kind of go back and forth, uh, you know, and, and put a what is a face to a name, then feel free to head over to the YouTube channel, Virtual Couch, and uh, love if you hit subscribe there and, and just continue to spread the word. So thank you so much for your support. Um, let's get to that interview with 3 and 30 Takeaways for Mom podcast host, host Rachel Nielsen. And, uh, and at the end of this, of course, uh, the talented now um, guest on the Virtual Couch Podcast, Aurora Florence, will take us away with this wonderful. But for now, uh, let's get to Rachel and her interview. feedback from being on your show has just been overwhelming. And I did an intro today where I sounded like a super old man where I was like, you know, this whippersnapper, Rachel Nielsen had me on her podcast and, and on this Instagram thing and I'm recording videos and she's putting little emojis on it. And it was just incredible. So, uh, you know, you have a nice following. Were you aware of that? Do you know that? <laughs> nice people? Definitely. Like, I feel like, so my podcast is three takeaways in 30 minutes for moms. So it's just like this group of women that really want to improve as mothers. Mm -hmm. And they're so kind and engaged and smart. And they leave like the best questions and also suggestions of their own yeah. that go along with the episodes that are just so great. Like I've just loved the community the people that I've gotten to know from interviewing them on my show, like you, yeah. and then also all the people who have found it and have commented. It's just been awesome. It's been such a blessing. It's fun. And uh, I, so my, here's my, my authentic moment here. My truth is, so I was on your podcast to talk about parenting, which I love. And, uh, and you were saying, Hey, is it okay to kind of engage with my, my uh, followers on Instagram? And I, I was a little bit scared. I don't know why I think I'm so used to that. Uh, you know, you're going to get people that are telling you, Hey, you're, you don't know what you're talking about and all that stuff. So there's a part of me that's like, okay, I'm excited to find out the people that say nice things, but all right, I'm ready. I'm ready for all the, the backlash, but there was no three in 30, uh, podcast backlash. No. And there's like, there's times when people challenge, um, some of the points, yeah. but it's always so respectful and it's a conversation, you know, and I love that. It's just, it's a great group of smart women who just want to be better. Yeah. So um, I asked Rachel to come on the virtual couch because, and quite frankly, when I did a little bit of a deep dive on in your podcast, there are a lot of things that would, would make for a very good show. I mean, you, you have a lot of uh, unique experiences. And so mm -hmm. I, I asked Rachel in particular if she would be willing to come on and talk about um, her experiences with both adoption and in vitro fertilization, not knowing that... Uh, you know, we've got uh, less than an hour and each one of those is probably a podcast in its own. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, like, or like a book. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> There's oh. a ton, but we can, we can get the highlights for sure. Okay. And if we find that we are, are hitting close to the end, then, Hey, I'm not afraid to do a part two, you know? Um, yeah. But before we even go there, are you, can you give us a little bit of your background? I mean, when you run down through the about page on your website, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff on there. You were, uh, 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 before my kids were born, I was a camp counselor for kids with disabilities, an international volunteer in an orphanage in El Salvador, um, a high school English teacher. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. So I did a lot of really cool things before my kids were born. 
I love people. And so I never wanted to just take a job like flipping burgers, although I could have engaged with people in that job too, but I really wanted to be with people serving and involved with them. And so I just always made that a priority. So like even in high school, I did the camp counselor. So I went away for the whole summer in high school to be a camp counselor for kids with disabilities. And I did that for four years probably, and then went and did the service in, at the orphanage in El Salvador. And what do you remember t- about the, what do you remember about the camp counselor? Um, out of curiosity, was that a good experience? Were there a lot of fun people to work with or it was a hard work? Oh, or- it was, Oh, it was the best experience. I think any advice, advice I have for parents of teenagers is uh-huh. get them involved in really meaningful service, not just service where they're like, they go to the service activity and I put together some little kit and then it's over, but getting them with the people. I mean, so being with these children and adults, actually, it was every week had a different theme and like a different grouping of people with disabilities. And I just got to know so many, a variety of people, all different abilities, disabilities. I had to get up in the middle of the night to help them go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I had to do g-tubes and catheters and um transferring in wheelchairs and i mean that is the best thing ever to teach a teenager to be grateful for their life and a little perspective you know yeah so it was amazing and that my my campers all just taught me so much they were so positive and we had so much fun at camp but i worked darn hard that those summers i bet my guilt uh, brain just said hey i made um smoothies at a uh, at a gym and i didn't even always clean out the uh the blender i apologize to the you know back in the day (laughs) and that's okay too but i just like loved i wanted to do this like you couldn't force a kid to do this it'd just be sure if they really have a heart for it like let them do it and let them serve and get involved and see what a difference they can make and that's a great point so i do feel like that's one of those where go back to the parenting episode we had and if somebody's going to throw that out there um if a kid says i would love to do something like that or a friend is and i have that interest i feel like a lot of parents are going to maybe project a little bit. I don't know. It's a lot of hassle or, you know, have you really thought that through or, and so you're saying, please encourage that. Right. Yeah. And even like, it's, I think about the sacrifice it was for my mom because my older sister and my younger sister actually did it as well Wow. to let us go for the summer. And she, I'm sure she wanted us home and around. I mean, for the most part, we were good kids and there's probably a little bit of anxiety to let us go away to overnight camp for the whole summer, but she could see what, a gift this was in our lives. So she let us do it and it shaped who we are. Wow. For sure. Let me, let me do so that we can get to the good stuff. Can you give me a couple minutes on, tell me what uh, you remember about El Salvador? What was that like? Yeah. So El Salvador was kind of an extenuation of, so of camp. So um, I found out about a program in El Salvador that they worked at an orphanage for kids with disabilities and adults again. Okay. And so I had loved doing it in the United States. And so I went and did it in El Salvador for that. We went, I went for a semester in college and then, um, after my husband and I loved it. And then after my husband and I got married, we actually went back and lived at the orphanage for a semester, like right after we got married the first Wow. Yeah. So that was awesome. Yeah. And then went back every year after that for like seven years until our son was born. Wow. So 
we really got to know and love the kids there. How was your, how was your, were you fluent in Spanish before then or? No, and I'm still not, (laughs) but I can, I can get around for sure because of that experience. And I always joke with people, it's like kid Spanish. Like I can ask people if they want to blow bubbles, you know, or color paint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can get by, but I wish I had more fluency than I do have. Okay. And I would love to spend 15 minutes talking to you about your uh, time as an English teacher. I mean, what are the most annoying things you hear people say? Um, are you a grammar oh. junkie or? You know, oh yeah. I, people always are, they're worried. Like in, when they send me direct messages, they're like, sorry about all the typos. And I'm like, I didn't even notice the typos in the direct message. I'm not like looking with an editor's eye at a direct message in Instagram. But I think people underestimate how much work it is to be a teacher. So I do sometimes get people saying like, oh, you get summers off and you get those type of things. But especially as an English teacher, my first year of teaching, I had 210 students and high schoolers. So I had to teach them how to write and I had to grade those essays, 100 or 210 of them. I mean, it took hours and hours. It was like... 60 hour weeks that first year of teaching as I was like learning how to do it and planning lessons and grading. And it was a ton of work and I do miss it. I loved teaching, but uh-huh. I do not miss the grading. Okay. That I do not miss. Well, and I, I have to say that's one of those where my empathy meter went through the roof um, as a therapist, the more I started working with teachers. And I will say that when they would talk about how much they were working and how stressed they were, and there was this part of me that was in, well, yeah, but you get summers off and you're done at four o'clock. And, and it was, oh, no, no. I mean, I couldn't believe the oh. amount of uh, prep that was done, the grading. Uh, it's, that's a lot. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's and feeling so that pressure work. that, you know, oh, I'm only in charge of the future of our country as I teach these kids how to read and write and do math. Oh yeah. 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 Hey, uh, I I can't teach them how to do math. No, that's something I can't. Okay. That's why I became a therapist myself. There's no math and therapy. Um, all right. So, uh, then you said though, I I love this. You said, um, after all my experiences working with children, a long fight to become a mother, I truly believed I would thrive as a mom one day. I mean, did you have the, you know, the kind of the, the, the classic growing up of, I can't wait and playing with babies and that sort of thing. Uh, no, but, um, I wouldn't say I I definitely knew that I wanted a career Mm -hmm. and I wanted to teach. And, you know, for, so for the first several years of our marriage, I, I was fine with it that babies weren't happening. Um, I loved my job. I loved my career and I hadn't always like idealist idealized it or played with all the baby dolls or anything. Um, but a few years in, I was like, okay, I'm ready for this to happen. And it wasn't happening, which actually wasn't a complete surprise because I'd been diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome and endometriosis as a teenager. Okay, And so I knew, we knew that it was going to be probably a challenge to have a baby. So a few years into teaching, I was like, let's, let's start trying. And we started the adoption process and infertility treatments at the same time and just decided whatever works out first works out. Like we want a child and we don't don't care where he or um, she or he comes from, he or her, I'm the English teacher here. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) We don't care where the baby comes from, comes from. Yes. Okay. Um, (laughs) And it was really important to me that I wanted to be able to tell that baby that it wasn't like they were a plan B. Like it okay. wasn't like we tried infertility forever and then 
were devastated and finally settled on adoption. Like I just, I, I know that's not really how couples feel, but at the time I just was like, I want to be able to tell that baby that we tried both at the same time uh-huh. and that we put it in God's hands, what would work out first. So okay. that's what we did. Yeah. And what was that? I mean, is that, and again, this is the part where I've worked with people who've adopted, I've worked with people who have done in vitro. Um, what was that like taking on all of the above? I mean, was that, was that a lot of extra work? (laughs) It was excruciating and looking back at it. Yeah. I wouldn't, I love in theory, the idea of just doing both at the same time and letting God decide, but it was so emotional because both of those routes are incredibly emotional. Okay. And so to be doing them both at the same time was probably, I didn't know going into it how hard each of those routes would be. Had I known, I probably would not have done them both at the okay. same time. Well, and Rachel, maybe if we even look at this as uh, people are going to listen that are, are contemplating what to do if they have not been successful in trying to have a, a, a child, what do you, what do you, looking back, what do you take into consideration at that point? Oh gosh. Which, what would I suggest about which route you mean? Or Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously that's like an intensely personal decision. Yeah. Um, I guess what are the challenges <laughs> maybe of each? <laughs> the challenges of each, well, with, with the fertility treatments, you're getting lots of, you know, hormone mm-hmm. and you're not yourself really because you're overly emotional and you have these drugs in you and then you add all the you know, the natural emotion of just wanting to have a baby and it not happening. And so you're just, it's really medically, your body is, you know, not your, your mind and your body aren't really your own at that time. When I can think about when I've helped, uh, I helped a couple with uh, the adoption process at one point, and there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of essays, there's a lot of, so now that you say that, all right, now we're locked in. So imagine that uh, with a a lot of extra hormones and maybe not feeling like yourself. And now I've got to fill out these essays and be ready for home visits and that sort of thing. Yes. So then with the adoption, there was all the paperwork and all that work. But even more than that, which, what was even more emotional that I don't think a lot of people necessarily know about is that um, we got contacts from birth moms who were considering us mm. and then who d- decided not to place their babies. Either they decided to parent or they chose a different couple. Wow. So I hadn't been emotionally prepared for that to be contacted, to get all excited, wow. to talk to these birth moms, meet some of them really fall in love with them and the idea of this baby coming at this certain time and then to have it not work out. And that it's really common for that to happen in with um, domestic adoption, with infant adoption. We had it probably a lot more than we had like seven or eight birth moms contact us before my sons, which I think is really unusual. I think, but I, most of my friends who've adopted have had at least a couple false starts and those okay. first few are yeah. so hard because you don't know to guard your heart yet. So you're just like all in. I say you've, you've already, I imagine you've thought through their wedding and their, I mean, everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I, through both of these processes with infertility and adoption, I was writing letters to the baby. I'm a writer. Yeah. I'm an English teacher. <laughs> and so I would write letters to the baby and yeah. Like when we got our first contact, it was actually a little girl who was two oh. that um, the great aunt was considering, the great aunt had her custody of her and was considering placing her for adoption. 
And so I had seen pictures of this baby. I had talked in depth with the great aunt and I was writing letters to this little girl, you know, that eventually I would give to her. Right. I mean, it seemed like such a sure thing. It really did. In the end, the great aunt chose to parent and that little girl stayed in their family, which was totally her right and was probably the, the best thing for that little girl in the end. But that didn't mean that I wasn't completely devastated and shattered, especially because that was our first sure. contact. So I was just totally caught off guard by the well, whole thing. And, and so when you say the first few were ex- extremely hard, do you remember a time where you felt like I have to start changing my relationship with my thoughts about this or was it hard to Yeah. Not? Yeah. I, I mean, I did. I definitely, the first one was the hardest. The first um, false start was the hardest. And then after that, I feel like there was a little bit more distance um, and and maybe even in a good way, maturity okay. and respect where I realized this is this is their choice and I want it to be their choice. And so I have to respect that. Even with my son's birth mom, who we were, I felt so good about her and that this was going to work out that we actually even stopped the fertility treatments wow. because I was tired of doing both. I was tired of my body being out of control and I just felt so great about Katie, but I still recognized that this was her baby Mm. and that it was her choice. And we spent so much time together. Even I stayed with her the week before Noah was born because her parents were out of the town. And even that whole week, I thought like this baby is going to be born any day. And if she chooses to parent do I have the humility and the maturity to be okay with that, to love her anyway, to wish her the best, to, you know, all those things. I just constantly had to remind myself of that. And I really felt like I was in a place where if she had made that choice, I could have supported her in that. Even though I would have been really sad, I would have supported her. I feel like if this is a, and I appreciate that. I feel like this is a, a, is I'm kind of seeing what difference that the adoption piece looks like to in vitro. Now we, you know, if this is the movie version, now we're going to switch over to, and here's a scene where now what does the, the in vitro look like? So that's what, you know, we have a good picture of what the adoption process is like. What's, what's happening then on, in the world of in vitro fertilization while this is going right. on. So I actually hadn't done in vitro. I had just done artificial inseminations, which okay. is like the step before in vitro And, um, (laughs) so that was, like I said, just with all the hormones and the drugs and the doctor's appointments, and in some ways, very similar to the adoption in that I would get my hopes up and then, you know, at the end of the month, find out that this wasn't happening. Um, I also had an ectopic pregnancy during that time. So actually got the positive test and, and then it wasn't happening. You know, there's so many parallels with just any pregnancy. Like it's not a sure thing. And we all, even after they're born, it's not a sure thing. You know, that something bad can happen to these babies, these precious babies. And even as they grow and just as a parent, that realization and giving your heart to God and being like, I could be okay, or I could forgive, or I you know, like it's scary as a parent. And I think whether you're doing infertility and worrying about a miscarriage or adoption and worrying about a reverse adoption 
or you have your babies and you're just worrying that they'll stay healthy, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just a big, uh, exercise and trust, right? Yeah. And I feel like, uh, well, I mean, were there times where now you maybe had a false start and you also here went the, the month and you weren't pregnant or were those things then happening in conjunction? Oh yeah. They were happening at the same time all along, you know, that, that whole year that we got the eight contacts and that we did fertility treatments. Tell me what, what was the, what was the relationship like with you and your husband? I mean, was this, was it hard to talk about these things or, or do you feel like that was uh, something that, that brought you closer or. I definitely feel like it brought us closer and maybe that's just, um, in retrospect, like rose colored glasses. I'm like, Oh, it brought us so much closer. Yeah. (laughs) But it was also extremely hard. And I've actually written an article about how to support your marriage through infertility. Okay. Um, and I don't know if you have the ability to link um, things in your show notes or whatever. I will. Else. Absolutely. Yeah, we will. Okay. Um, because my biggest advice there was a couple of things. Um, first of all, that you can't expect your spouse to be feeling the same way that you're feeling, even though you are going through the exact same experience Yeah. as a woman and a man, like it's just different. And there were times when I was angry that Ryan wasn't feeling the yeah. grief and the loss in the same way that I was. Um, for example, I can remember one time saying to him, Oh, I just, there's not, I can't think of anything except for adoption. Like all I ever think about is adoption. Isn't that so crazy how that's all that you can think about? And I just assumed he was the same way and he was genuinely bewildered. He wasn't trying to be insensitive, but he said, what is there to think about? And I was like, I was like, what? Like every minute of every day I was thinking, the next contact, what's going to happen? you know, all these things, whereas he was more going about his daily life and thinking like when it happens, it happens. Yeah. And so then I was upset and I felt hurt. Like if I were pregnant and he were seeing my body change, he would be thinking about this more. So then that like brought up my infertility grief because uh-huh. I wanted him to like, um, I don't know, kind of like pamper me or yeah. uh, I felt like he should be taking care of me better or something. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah. we had those moments where I was just angry that he wasn't feeling the same things that I was feeling. Yeah. And I wanted him to meet my needs when he didn't even know what my needs were. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Right. Okay. So I mean, yeah, man, I, brain, man brain has a tendency to do the good old compartmentalization. And, and uh, so if he's not thinking about it, then that assumptions there that you are, you're going about your day as well. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's one thing that I mentioned in that article is yeah. that you really need to meet your own needs. Mm. Like if, or tell him what you need, you know, that like, if you are feeling super stressed out and you need, uh, to go get the massage and that's in the budget, like book it for yourself. Yeah. If you need a day with your sister to talk because your sister gets this, like make sure that happens, do what you need to do or let him know. I just really need you to hold me and snuggle me tonight or whatever it is, but don't expect him to just read your mind and know. What no, you pl- big plug for the whole, uh, one of my soapboxes EFT. I mean, give it a voice, right? Um, yes. or else we're resenting things and he didn't even know. And we don't want to find out a decade later. Why didn't you ever tell me? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and I, I, before we get too far away from this, I do want to say one of the first things that I remember as a therapist that, that hit me hard was doing 
couples therapy before I really didn't know what I was doing. And there was uh, some conversation about a, a woman having a miscarriage. And she looked at me for support and validation of how how devastating this this is for women. And it was literally, I remember the first time, I don't remember how long I've been practicing. And I, you know, the guy looked at me and I think he wanted me to validate him and that, hey, I told her we'll try again, you know, and mm-hmm. thank goodness she stopped and had the voice to say, you know, that's where I, she said, uh, hey, I've already, I've already seen the, you know, the baby clothes and the, the baptism and the first day of school and the wedding and yeah. the mission. I mean, it was like, Oh, and I just, I, I was about breaking down and then I was able to pull myself together and say, that's exactly what I was going to say, you know, as the therapist. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and I'm only bringing that, uh, because I think guys, Hey, this is a big time to not, to, to, to just listen and have some empathy. Yeah. And, and there were times when Ryan was so great about that. I mean, overall he was so loving and nurturing. And I remember one night when we got, uh, the news that a, that a mom who'd picked us changed her mind. So one of those reversals mm-hmm. that I just laid in bed and sobbed my heart out. And he, I just remember him hugging me and holding me until I fell asleep. And then he got up and he deep cleaned the entire apartment. Oh, what a champ. And yeah. I feel like it was just like, he was like, I can't fix this for her. Like, I yeah. don't know what to do. Yeah, I am going to clean this house for her. And that was just a simple way to show that he cared and he was thinking of me. You know, I always feel like any gesture of love, if you don't know what to do, just do anything to show that you're thinking and that you love someone. And that should be, that should be good, you know? I love it. And rather than the, Oh, is there anything I can do? Because when people are kind of feeling down, they're not going to lay out the laundry list of things to do. So totally. that's, that's great. I mean, you are one Oreo milkshake away from that thing. Just being perfect. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And he does make, he does make an awesome Oreo milkshake. Actually. Is really? Okay. All right. Peanut butter Oreo. It's awesome. All right. uh, I love peanut butter. I love Oreos. You kind of lost me on putting them together, but we can continue anyway. Okay. So what, what's, you know, you drive now. So now we've got, I love how you've laid out that, yeah, these are two separate things. They're going on at the same time. What an emotional journey, roller coaster. So where do we go next? So I feel like I should clarify just for listeners who aren't familiar with my story. So, um, in the end, Noah did come to us through adoption. Mm -hmm. And then, um, after Noah was born, we did in vitro for our second baby. So we've done both. And um, so we have a a son who's adopted and a daughter who we conceived through in vitro. And um, it's been just like a great experience and hard, but lessons that I would not change and I would not trade. And one of the most meaningful things for me has been the open adoption that we have with my son's birth parents. Okay. Talk so, about that. And that's one of those where I don't 100% know the terminology. So I could, uh, I could pretend I do, but I'm going to, I want you to, you drive. Okay. So, um, adoptions have varying levels. I mean, sometimes they're completely closed where there's no contact or very limited contact with the birth mom. You may know her first name or something like that, but nothing more or not. You may not okay. even know that, but I feel like that's becoming less and less common. Um, in, you know, recent years, it's more common to have open or at least semi open to some level of adoption, Okay, but it's, it's totally individualized. So people often ask me, like, did you set out, like, did you have like a contract of what you would do or, 
how exactly does that work? And maybe some couples do that, but I haven't really heard of that. Like I, I do um, know there's some of that in our area that that's, and I don't know if that's a California thing per se, but I do know that's a little more uh, popular here. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting where they actually like formalize. Yeah. I'm going to lay some of that out ahead of time. Yeah. And I do think that you can do that like with your caseworker, your social worker, talk through it, lay it all out. But as far as I know, I, at least in our experience, it wasn't anything like legally binding. Yeah. Okay. We didn't sign anything. We maybe like discussed what would be preferred yeah. and then um, left it, you know, really let it unfold. That's okay. the way that I would describe it. We both knew going into it, all of us knew that we wanted an open adoption. Okay. That I really felt like it would be the best thing for Noah if he knew his birth parents um, and if he knew why they chose adoption for him, all of those things. I also felt like it would be the best thing for Katie, his birth mom, if she continued to know that he was loved and cared for and protected. Yeah. What I don't think I realized at the time was how much it would bless me and my, like me personally, the relationships that I've developed with them and the ways that I've learned about love and the ways that I've grown it's, I would never, if I had a choice, I would never do it differently. Okay. Um, but all that to say <laughs> that it has been one of the hardest experiences of my life too, figuring out how to navigate and mm. how we were going to do this open adoption because it wasn't all laid out beforehand. It couldn't be because we didn't know exactly how it would feel yeah. and how much contact would be too much. And if it would make her sad to see him or sad to see pictures, or if it would be comforting to her, we didn't know any of that. So we knew we wanted contact and openness, but I don't think we knew quite how much. And that mm-hmm. just, that evolved over time. I feel like there was give and take as we learned more about each other and as we grew to trust each other over the years. So okay. Katie, his birth mom was 16 when she had him. Actually, I think she had just turned 17 when she had him. And um, his birth dad was 18 and Drew. And we knew we wanted to stay in touch with both of them. And then over that first two years, I would say it was really hard to figure out what that would look like but we just stuck it out and like I just really we all just really tried to let love and love for Noah drive like be in the driver's seat yeah and um so the hard things were things like this um she was a teenager so she wanted to post to social media so there would be things like you know, pictures of Noah and then I miss my baby so much, stuff like that. And so then I'm like, okay, how do I feel about this? And I would have to work through my own emotions of feeling a little bit maybe possessive or um, I'm not exactly sure what, but that feeling of like, is this good for my baby to be online? Is it okay that she calls him her baby? how do I love her well, but also have these boundaries. But I also just recognize that she was a teenager and that everything that she was doing was 
developmentally appropriate. Okay. And that at her core, she just loved Noah. Like that was just the bottom line. And she is so smart and so fun and loving and kind. And she actually came to visit. We had visits and I never worried that like anything was inappropriate or that she was trying to confuse him in any way about who his mom was. So the more that I grew to trust them with those visits and Drew would come too. Yeah. Um, like I could see that they were respectful of us as Noah's parents, that they loved him so much that they were growing up and maturing. And I really had to like, let go of some of my own kind of natural man feelings of possessiveness and, and just recognize that the more people who loved this baby, the better. You so know? How did you, I mean, that's a great example of how did you get through that? Was that through, did you just have to kind of let that go? Did you, did you talk that through with Noah's birth mom or how did that work? Like, like you know, that with social media, that's a great example. Yeah. I, I never directly talked through it with her because okay. I was very sensitive of where she was at and that she was grieving and she grieved hard. Like, I feel like she kind of went through a honeymoon period for the first nine months of Noah's life where she was like smitten with the adoption. Mm. And then like nine months to like 18 months, I think she felt some regret. I think some of her other friends had babies and decided to parent. And so she saw their pictures on social media that were of course the highlight reel of their cute babies. And then she's like, well, maybe that should, maybe I should have done that all totally appropriate, natural parts of the grieving process. And I, so I just sort of stood back and tried to respect that. And so I didn't directly talk to her about it because nothing ever made me nervous enough or like there was nothing that I thought was inappropriate and I needed to talk to her about it. It was just kind of me walking through her walking. That's good. So he's had some awareness around it. You were, I mean, you could maybe talk through it with your husband and and that, that would. Exactly. And I did talk it through with my husband and you know, the biggest turning point for me, and um, this is an experience that I don't, I haven't shared often, but I feel comfortable sharing is that there was one night where I saw something that she'd posted and I felt these feelings where I was just like, what do I do with this? Like, I felt, I felt possessive. I felt like, is she ever going to be okay? Mm. Did, did we ruin her life by adopting her baby? Is she like, I felt so many things, you know, I just can't even describe all the things that I felt. Um, and I just prayed. Like I just, I just got on my knees and poured it all out. And I remember saying to God, like, are we ever going to have a baby that's just our own that we don't have to learn how to share and all these things. And it was the most direct, clear answer to a prayer I have ever gotten ever. And I feel like I don't really get lightning bolt answers to prayers except for with Noah's adoption. Like my clearest answers have always been surrounding Noah's adoption. I just felt like he like, I wasn't like I heard a voice or anything, but it was just like in my mind, it seemed so clear. The thought came to me, Noah is mine. He's not yours. He's not Katie's. He's mine. Okay. You are mine. And Katie is mine. And I'm going to take care of all of you. And 
I just remember feeling this peace and feeling like, what do I do for her? Like, I don't know, is seeing these pictures and these videos and all these things of Noah making this harder on her? Like, should I pull back? Should I, what do I do? I don't, I remember just thinking, well, I don't know what to do. And again, it was so clear, this thought that came that said, you know what to do. Just love her. Okay. Like that, it was just like, that is, I mean, it was just so clear. It was like, you know what to do when something's, someone's having a hard time. You just love them. Like just pour more love on her and involve her more. Sorry, this is a little bit emotional. Oh, please. That's, I mean, I mean, imagine coming out of that and not worried about, you know, should, what she's posting this or this, and it's just, just love her. I mean, that's, that gives me chills to kind of think about what a, what a relief and what a comfort and what a joy that must have brought. Yes. And it was like, inst- and think of all the ways that you can involve her in Noah's wow. life and let her be a part. And then she won't feel so much grief and so much like she'll she'll know that she's still a part and she's still important and so i feel like that was a turning point where yeah. i i really let go of all those feelings of possessiveness of any whatever it was that i was feeling and i just was like we're all in on yeah. this open adoption you know and so she's been at his birthday every year she's been at you know at different holidays and um this is a little heavy. To, yeah, I, I think I know. I mean, you know where this is going. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. And, but Katie actually passed away this past um, November. Yeah. She struggled with extreme depression and um, she took her own life. And I, when I got that news, I was actually on an airplane. It was, I was in between my two flights and I just, remember sitting on the plane and just crying, thinking how grateful I was that I had listened to that prompting, however many, four years ago, to just love her and to just let her be in our family. I didn't, obviously, I didn't know how the story would end. And it's not ended. It's not over. Like, she's still going to be very much a part of our our family and we're going to talk about her and Noah's going to know her. But I just cried thinking, what if I would have pushed her away? What if I wouldn't have loved her, you know? And um, what a blessing and a joy she was in our life and in Noah's life. He knows her. He has memories of her and I know her and I have memories of her that I'm going to be able to share with him. And the biggest blessing is that his birth dad, is still really involved in his okay. life, yeah. which is really unusual. Most of the time, birth dads are out of the picture even before the baby's born, a lot of the times. But Drew is like a rock and is still in his life and is has come to visit us since Katie's death. And we just all sat around and talked about Katie and how much we loved her. And Drew also loves her and knows her. And he just has said like, he's going to know his birth mom. Like I'm going to help him to know his birth mom and he will actually know his birth dad because he'll be here and he'll be in his life. And I'm just overwhelmingly grateful. Like it's the biggest blessing of my entire life that we have brought them into our family. Like there's, there's no experience like it. There's 
I recently told someone, I think that being at Noah's birth, because I was there in the room, I think that that was the most amazing, one of the most amazing experiences in my life is what I said. And then I thought, and I said, no, it was the most amazing experience of my life for sure. Becoming a mother yeah, and also watching Katie give birth and go through that. And she insisted that I be the first one to hold him. Wow. And so holding Noah for the first time, showing him to Katie, sharing that joy with her. Ryan came right in. He wasn't actually in the room when she gave birth, but immediately as soon as Noah came, he was in there hugging me. We were all there. It was a little piece of heaven on earth. That kind of love, that kind of unselfish love, best moment of my life taught me more about love than any other experience I've ever had. I love it. I, and I, and I do, you know, I, uh, you have an episode, a podcast episode where you talk about that experience with, um, Katie's passing. And that's a powerful episode because you, you do talk about how you can grow from these really difficult experiences. And so, um, I, I hope that people will go listen to that episode because that, that one resonated with me. And, and, but I, I didn't, I had no idea of that story about the, the prayer, um, leading yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I've wanted to share it on my podcast and I will eventually, okay. but I haven't, I haven't quite found, I actually tried to record it shortly after she passed away and I couldn't, okay. it was, it's still so fresh for me. I, I mean, she only, yeah. she only died in November. I, yeah. What is that? Six months ago? Six I months. Can't yeah. Five, six months. In, yeah. I mean, every day I think about her every day. Like mm. she's on my mind. She's in my heart. And it's really, really fresh for me still. But I also want, I want to share this message of just loving people. And open adoption can't be this way for everyone. If if she had had, um, you know, drug addictions or different things where I felt like it was risky to have Noah with her or anything. I mean, even in that case with an addiction, it might've been okay. I mean, but in some situations obviously as a parent, you have to think through it and think what is safe for the child, what is best for the child. Yeah. In this case though, these were two good kids that had gotten pregnant. Yeah. And I just felt so compelled to allow them to be part of Noah's life. And little did I know what a blessing it would be in my life and in our whole family's lives. And we're going to be connected to her family and Drew's family forever. They're our Mm -hmm. family now. Yeah. Rachel, let me ask you, we've, uh, with the time we have left, do we have time to kind of cover the, the in vitro or do we, do we hold that off or what do you think? I mean, I'm so grateful you shared the, the message of open adoption and Katie and what do you think? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can't, we can't go into it as much, but yes. We okay. Can talk and about let me, uh, two things. One is I didn't want to get too much further down the road when I so, um, confidently said, Hey, I don't know anything about open adoption, but I know all about contracts with it. Uh, I did a quick look in front of me while we were talking and, um, I've had some experience with people who have done surrogate, uh, contracts. So I, I oh, actually yeah. was, I don't know anything about a pre-adoption contract, but, uh, in the world of surrogates, then there's, uh, there's, contracts so if anybody was listening and thinking this guy doesn't know what he's talking about they were correct and so uh, there's uh, (laughs) that part okay so i I could be totally wrong on that too i but Mm -hmm. i just know in our situation there was nothing completely outlined we just had to let it evolve so so we've got a few more minutes do you want to kind of uh, give us the you know here's the hey the ivf story and 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 you know how wonderful that was and i'm going to close a blind behind me so okay go ahead yeah um 
I would say that with IVF going into it, I was just really, really nervous about going down that path again with the hormones and, and the uncertainty of getting pregnant and could I lose this baby, all those things. Um, but I do feel like Noah's adoption is what gave me hope and strength thinking about how God had known all along that Noah was meant for our family. Okay. That in retrospect, I could see like that God had guided it all. And so it was easier for me to have more faith and trust the second time thinking this will either work out or it won't. And if it doesn't, then there's another baby that's meant for us that maybe we need to adopt, you know? Yeah. So I, I just felt like I had more faith, if that makes sense, sure. because I had seen it, I'd seen it work out. I'd seen in the end with Noah, I was so grateful that my body hadn't worked because I got Noah. Yeah. So this that time was around you said on your podcast, I love that. Okay. Say that again. Sorry. Didn't yeah, that like, I, that I tell and I tell yes. him that, yeah. you know, so he knows the story of his birth. He knows his birth parents. He, he knows what adoption is. We've explained all that to him. And I just always say to him, I am so grateful that my body didn't work because that's how we got you. I you love know? That. And he actually, when he was about three years old, someone was surprised to hear me say birth parents in front of him. And they were like, does he know? Like this? And I said, yeah, he knows. And said, does he know what that means? And I said, well, I've told him, but let's see what he says. And then I said, Noah, what does it mean that you're adopted? And he said, he thought about it for a second. And then he said, a long time ago, three years ago, but a long time ago, (laughs) a long time ago, my mom's body was sick. And so heavenly father sent us Katie so that I could get to my family. And that's called adoption. Wow. And I was like, wow, I had never, he put it so much better than I had ever, Yeah, you know, worded it. And so, um, yeah, I don't know how we got on adoption again. Just that I knew that God would get us the baby that was meant for our family, whether it was with this in vitro or whether we ended up adopting again. And what's the, what's the difference in age then? So between your kids, three years, three. Okay. Gotcha. So that was the time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So about that time. Um, so, and I skipped all of the inseminations. I didn't want to do all that again. Okay. I was like, you know, those didn't work. So let's just go straight to in vitro so I can spare myself some of the months of that, Yeah. you know? And so we did, and I was so blessed that it worked the first month, which is, or not oh, the first okay. month. It takes, it takes several months, but the first time that we implanted frozen em- or embryos, it worked. And so, so grateful for that. Um, the, you know, the ability to get pregnant with my daughter whose name's Sally. And, um, yeah, so I feel like in vitro, it was very similar. I don't, I feel like I don't have much distinction between my period of time with the IUIs and in vitro, like it was all similar in that it's just really hard to put your body and your mind in a place where you're not in control because the hormones are messing with your mind a little bit. And um, then your body, like you are examined in the most like sacred places and it's so like medical and you go to these appointments and you just feel like so empty sitting alone and being on these tables. And especially when we did 
um, infertility the first time my husband was in dental school. And so he didn't have a lot of control over his schedule. And so a lot of times I was doing all those appointments by myself. So it really just felt so lonely. Like this was just such a lonely path, getting these examinations and these doctor's appointments. And, and it was similar the second time around with in vitro, but I'm grateful that we skipped all the IUIs and went straight to the in vitro and that my husband could be more of a part of it because he was done with school. Okay. And, um, yeah, we got, we got our Sally and I feel like in some ways that was more straightforward than the adopt than the first time. Um, although it was still so difficult and we really hoped to have a third baby and I don't know how that will, which route that will take. Okay. Uh, But I'm, I'm dreading it either way, (laughs) but I'm also like, look at all the beauty that came from both of these paths. And so I'm like, I can do it. Right. Yeah. So that I just have to look back on these miracles. I think both of my babies are my miracle babies. Yeah. I look back and I think, okay, hopefully there's, I feel really strongly that there's a third miracle baby. I just don't know how that baby's going to get to us, but I think he or she will eventually. Right. That's the hope. Yeah. I have to ask really quick, was your, the pregnancy, I mean, did you get sick or was it where you did it? I don't know. What was it like? Oh, I was so sick. Okay. I was, I was so sick for the entire nine months throughout the entire nine months, actually barely gained any weight because I was so sick. And I have a couple of other friends who did in vitro and they had a similar experience. So I'm kind of like, maybe if your body like isn't quite, I don't know what, it would be interesting to know if other women who've done in vitro have had that same experience. I asked my doctor if there's any research on that, if women who do in vitro are more likely to be sick. And he said, there's not really any studies, but that anecdotally he sees that somewhat. Um, But even with all the sickness and all of that, I still think that it was a more straightforward road than adoption. And, sure. Um, and did your husband, actually, get to, you know, did he get to pamper you? I mean, that was kind of where I was. Uh, yeah. Where I was okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause I wanted to be pampered the first time and didn't get pampered. Yeah. Um, yes, for sure. I mean, he had to take care of everything for at least for the first like 20 weeks when I was the sickest, Wonderful. he just took care of everything and pampered yeah. me. Good. And yeah, then we had our miracle baby and she's here. And I feel like in some ways, as I was thinking, as I was preparing for this podcast, I was yeah. thinking like, it does. It was so painful. All of this was so painful and hard, but it does feel like kind of a distant memory now because I feel like I'm living in my happy ending. And that's not to say that it's easy because it's not. And if people come over to my podcast, they will hear me talk about how parenting is a real struggle for me, much more than I ever thought or expected it to be. Both my kids are super strong-willed. And so it's just, it's a challenge every day. But it is my happy ending and that I got these two babies after all of that struggle and they're here. And so it seems like kind of a distant memory getting them here. But like I said, we may be starting it again here in the near future. So I'm, I'm grateful that I got to record this and remind myself. No, me too. I am. And I was going to say, boy, what a cheesy way for me to say, hey, we'll have you back to find out, you know, the big gender reveal on the virtual yes. couch, right? Whenever that happens, who exactly, knows when that happens. Right? Hey, so, um, all right, please uh, go find your Rachel's podcast, 3in30podcast.com or on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and then, uh, boy, I feel like I feel this pressure that I should, I'll have to do something on Instagram. Um, 
Oh yeah. You know, with your, uh, with your, when <laughs> I, keep when up? I, so yeah, I feel too much. My better. Instagram and skills. It was so good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even before we started recording, I was saying to Rachel, you know, all the little things you put on there and the, the, I mean, I don't know, whatever it was just, it was like, you worked magic on that thing. It was beautiful. It was. Well, thank you. Hey, well, thanks for coming on. I'm so glad. Uh, and I, and you know, um, I want to have you back. We, you got some other categories that are just, I would love to cover. And, uh, you know, um, I feel like here's why I do this in my therapy too. I'm always trying to say something very profound at the very end. At the very end. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, uh, all right. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so. I feel like that at the end of my podcast episodes. I never know how to end them. And I'm always like, we'll see ya. Exactly. <laughs> um, so then, Rachel Nielsen, thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, so uh, bye. Bye. <laughs> flying past our heads and out the other end the pressures of the daily grind it's wonderful elastic waste and rubber ghost i'm floating past the midnight hour they push aside the things that matter most Just my